The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So how has 2020 felt to you? It's not exactly been the greatest year, has it? Has it felt as though you've been walking in darkness? Has it felt as though you've been living in the land of deep darkness? I've certainly felt that way through probably most of this year. Those words are from the book of Isaiah, the Hebrew prophet, and they're often quoted in church services around this time. A couple of days ago, it was the winter solstice here in the Northern Hemisphere, the shortest, the darkest, the gloomiest day of the year. And soon it will be Christmas Day, a time of joy and celebration and exuberance. Well, a normal Christmas would be those things. It remains to be seen what Christmas 2020 is going to be like. But has it ever struck you as odd that Christmas should be held at this time of year? Because it was a deliberate decision to hold Christmas so close to the winter solstice. We don't know when Jesus was born. It might have been December 25th, but it equally might have been July 3rd. We have no idea. But it was decided, most likely by the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century, to hold it on this date. Why? This was when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And a lot of historians think they wanted something to replace the pagan winter solstice celebrations. And that's probably true. But there's something else going on. The darkness of this time of year matters. The darkness itself matters. There is a deep and universal meaning that's held within it. We'll get back to that. But first, I want to talk about inspirational quotes on social media. You know what I'm talking about here, don't you? Someone posts something that sounds vaguely inspirational, often in a fancy font, maybe accompanied by a picture of someone looking over a beautiful landscape. And you see it, you sort of nod to yourself, think, yeah, that's vaguely inspirational. Click like and then scroll down onto whatever the algorithm decides should be the next thing you see. Most of these quotes are pretty harmless. Some can be genuinely helpful. Others are plain wrong. A good example of this is a phrase you've probably seen a fair bit on social media, which is, live your best life, or be your best self. Uh, no. No. I won't be my best self. Because first and foremost, that's not a thing that exists for anyone. There is no such thing as the human superlative, and trying to attain that is just going to make you miserable. There is no best self, there is only yourself, and that has to encompass all of you, including the things that you would prefer not to think about. 
including even a little bit of darkness. Life is hard enough without having to constantly strive to be more or do more. Because really, that's what be your best self is saying. It's saying that your current normal self isn't enough. You need to be something else. Listen, you never have to be your best self. There is no such thing. All you have to do is be yourself. Now, of course, we change and we grow and we try to become more humble and kind and compassionate, but we're never going to get it right all the time. We're never going to be perfect, and that's perfectly okay. In fact, an essential part of embracing life in all its fullness and abundance is accepting that. Accepting our flaws. Accepting that we don't need to be more than what we are. There is nothing deficient or lacking about us. About you. Here's another one of those phrases. It's always darkest before the dawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. In other words, that awful thing that you're going through, it's okay, because soon things are going to turn around and get better. And the worse things get, the closer you are to some kind of breakthrough. It's always darkest before the dawn. Is it? A while ago, I was listening to a fairly well-known Christian talking on another podcast, and he was gushing about how intelligent God's design is and how God reflects spiritual truths through cosmological truths. Now, it's definitely the case that nature is full of wisdom and can teach us so much, but the particular example he gave was how God created the world so that the darkest part of the night would be the hour just before dawn. Hence the phrase, it's always darkest before the dawn. There's just one very small flaw with that, which is that it is in no way true. It's completely made up. The darkest part of the night is never just before the dawn. In fact, how dark it is at night has very little to do with the proximity to dawn, but rather the cycles of the moon and how much cloud cover there is. But even on a clear night with no moon, the darkest part of the night would be the period halfway between dusk and dawn, the middle of the night, which makes perfect sense if you think about it. So no, it's not always darkest before the dawn, at least on a physical level. But what about on the spiritual level? Does it work as a vaguely inspirational quote? Well, not quite. Part of the issue is that it's saying, don't despair about the tough times you're going through because relief is just around the corner. And this can be a comforting thing to believe. And sometimes you do get sudden breakthroughs when everything seems lost. But that's rarely the whole story. Sometimes life can be crushing. And it's important to acknowledge that. 
It's important to acknowledge the darkness and say, it matters that we're going through this. It's not just something to put to one side while we wait for things to get better. There is a real element of tragedy to existence, and a trite saying isn't going to change that. Sometimes you just have to sit there and say, yep, this is awful. 2020 has been awful. We need to give ourselves room to grieve and lament and be there in the darkness. So it was decided that Christmas should be at the darkest time of the year. Interesting. Dawn is my favorite time of day. It's when I feel most alive and creative and I do a lot of my writing then. There's something incredibly powerful about it. But here's the thing. Dawn isn't magical because it's darkness being replaced by light. Its power lies in the fact that it's where the darkness meets with the light. And the two coexist. Once you get to full daylight, the dawn is over and that feeling of wonder goes away. Human beings have a habit of splitting life into binaries. We've created a two-party system with light and goodness and happiness on one side and darkness and despair on the other. But life doesn't work like that. In fact, if we want to go back to things that nature teaches us, human vision doesn't work like that. If there was absolute light, we wouldn't be able to see. Our retinas would be incinerated, our optic nerve would be overwhelmed and we'd be blinded. If you've ever done what you're not supposed to do and looked directly at the sun, you'll know what I'm talking about. Human vision depends upon the interplay between darkness and light. You need both to see. I love how in Jewish culture, the day actually begins the night before. So Saturday will begin at sundown on Friday. And this can create a subtle shift in the way we perceive things because it includes the darkness. The day begins with darkness. This is also why I've always loved the traditional Anglican service of Evensong, particularly in winter here in the UK, where it gets dark super early. Traditionally, at this service, candles are lit, not to try and overcome the darkness, but to take into the darkness. But the modern world does things differently. We've done our best to eliminate darkness, to shove it into corners where we never have to go, both literally and metaphorically. 24-7 electricity and streetlights mean that we never truly experience darkness anymore. We've shut ourselves off from it. Meanwhile, on social media, we present highlights from our lives to the world, picking and choosing what we share to make them look as good as possible. When people ask us how we are, we say, I'm fine. Even when we're anything but. Darkness is something to be feared instead of accepted. 
And so we fear and reject the darker parts of ourselves, which can lead to shame and self-loathing, instead of seeing ourselves as the complex, multifaceted, gloriously imperfect beings that we are. And what's more, we can't be healed from our pain if we ignore our pain. We see this reflected in worship music too. There are very few laments in contemporary Christian music, which is interesting because in Jesus's religion, just a reminder that Jesus wasn't a Christian, there are a ton of laments. Two thirds of the Psalms contain some sort of lament, like this from Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I am worn out from my groaning. All night I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Nowadays, churches tend not to sing about that sort of thing. You might have heard the term happy clappy to describe the contemporary worship experience, and that's actually quite a big problem. It assumes that God isn't interested in our weaker, darker moments. It assumes that we should just press on no matter how things are going. And it assumes that we have nothing to learn from the darkness, that light is our only true teacher, that a good life is a comfortable life. Do you think that's true? We can begin to find the answer to that by looking at the greatest story ever told, which is, of course, the children's classic, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. The reason why this is such a masterclass in storytelling is that on every other page, the characters encounter a problem. They encounter an obstacle. And there's this refrain that it keeps coming back to. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. We've got to go through it. Human beings communicate truth by telling stories. And you cannot tell a good story without conflict. If any of you ever want to write a novel or a short story or a play, then what you essentially do is create a character, make them want something, and then put obstacles in their way. Character needs conflict. Character needs darkness. Without those things, there is no story. If we're going on a bear hunt was just a family going on a pleasant stroll where everything goes well and everyone has a good time, no one would read it. But there's a river to cross, mud to get through, a snowstorm, a dark forest, and at the end of it, a giant bear. This is actually one of the oldest and most common themes in literature. And it finds perhaps its most profound form in the ancient Greek concept of katabasis, which literally means to go downwards, to descend. 
specifically in literature, it implies a descent in order to gain understanding. Because there are all these stories in ancient mythology about characters having to make a journey to the underworld in order to complete a quest. It's as though the secrets to life are contained in the darkest, deepest, coldest, and most painful places. You'll know this from the stories you tell from your own life. Think about the events that have shaped you, and they won't be stories of plain sailing. They'll be stories of challenge, stories that have a little bit of darkness in them. At the beginning of the Jewish creation myth found in Genesis, we're told that the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The darkness came first. God, according to this story, did not instantaneously create a light-filled world. Interestingly, science tells us this too. I know very little about cosmology, but people much smarter than me have figured out that the first light didn't come into existence until about 300,000 years after the Big Bang. So it was dark for a while. Now, what about that bit about hovering above the waters? In ancient Jewish literature, deep waters signify chaos. They signify despair. And this makes sense in a culture where fishing is one of the main industries and people are killed in storms at sea. Darkness. Chaos. And yet, the Spirit of God is hovering above the surface. There's something active and potent about that image. There's something going on. We know that something is about to happen. The word spirit here in the Hebrew is the same word for breath. So literally, the divine breath is moving over the chaos in the midst of the darkness. Now, Where else in Genesis does breath come in? When God creates human beings, he breathes life into the dust. Breath is symbolic of life, of potential, of creativity. It's as if God is standing by the shore of this dark and stormy sea and thinking, I can do something with this. I can make something from this. Maybe the Spirit of God is hovering above the chaos of this year. Maybe God is breathing upon your pain, not to suddenly make it go away, but to make something new. Let's return to that quote from Isaiah that I started with. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's the people in darkness who are able to see this great light. 
It is the people living in the land of deep darkness upon whom the light has dawned. The reason why this is always read at churches at Christmas is because Christians believe it's a prophecy referring to the birth of Jesus, which at the time of Isaiah was hundreds of years in the future. The passage goes on to say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And that's the birth that's celebrated at Christmas. The word that's used to describe this birth is incarnation, the divine becoming human, entering into the messiness and brokenness of human existence, an interplay between divinity, light, and darkness. This message wasn't, isn't, for people who have everything together, who feel good about life who are just sailing through, no problem. But for people who are struggling, people who are grieving, people for whom life feels like it's too much. One of the names that Jesus is referred to is Emmanuel, which means God with us. With us in the brokenness. The light with the darkness. In our pain, the divine draws close. In our suffering and our doubts, spirit is near. This is why it's perfect that Christmas is celebrated around the darkest, coldest time of year. There's something else that Isaiah says in this passage which doesn't get as much attention but which I think says something quite profound. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. The boots that were used in battle will become fuel for the fire. It uses militaristic language because that's the culture it was written in. But here's another way to translate those words. For as has happened before and will happen again, the burdens that we have been carrying will be broken. All that has been oppressing us will be shattered. The struggles, the defeats, the darkness itself will become fuel for the flames of dawn. We're going through dark times at the moment. You don't need me to point that out. A global pandemic, catastrophic failings of national leadership, deepening divisions in society, environmental catastrophe, it's dark out there. And that needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be accepted. It needs to be grieved and lamented. And we don't know when it's going to end. Although we need to remember that it will end, as difficult times have ended before. 
there will be better days. But until then, let's remember that sometimes we've just got to go through it. And that in the midst of the deepest darkness itself, something new can be born. I'll finish off with a, a poem I wrote. This is called Star. Even though some nights seem anything but holy, even though Christmas isn't always merry and can leave us feeling lonely, even though we sometimes fail, no matter how hard we try, even though we seem stuck on the ground when we're desperate to fly, even though our faded dreams shake our belief, even though life can feel agonizingly brief, even though we lose the people that we love and we question whether there's even a heaven above, even though we take the risk and give ourselves away, but then our hearts break and our hearts break and our hearts break and we cry out to God, how long will it take before this dark night will end? Before the sun rises and the world begins to mend. Even though from here to redemption couldn't see more far, still, I've heard rumors of a strange star. Shining with an unfamiliar light. Burning with the hope that maybe, maybe these wrongs will be put right. What do you see? when you look into your sky. Darkness, confusion, storm clouds thundering the question, why? Why me? Why now? Why does it have to be this hard? Why him? Why her? Do I always have to end up scarred? Look closer. Even though it may seem faint, still you will see a star beckoning you to follow, promising that though it hurts tonight, something new will be born tomorrow. Something new will be born. Something new will be born. Everything that's been broken, shattered and torn will be healed. Hearts will be mended and love's true face will be revealed. So even though you've fallen, Know that you will be restored, for there is a star in your sky, pointing towards a saviour, guiding you to the Lord. Merry Christmas. <laughs>